to know. Um, and you know, big up, big up Glasgow recruitment tech. You know, it's like um, it's a thing. It's a legitimately a thing. It's crazy. Um, so that's fantastic stuff. Anyway, uh, we're live, everybody. Welcome to Brain Food Live on Air, bringing it to you every Friday, no fail. I am delighted uh, to be chatting with you. I'm back in uh, HQ in London um, and really pleased to be having uh, this conversation on a very bright day, hopefully the beginning of spring for us, because we've had a miserable time so far uh, this year, have we not, folks? Um, okay. Um, I want to do some sound checks real quick. Um, reason why is because I'm pretty certain there's going to be uh, some disasters unfolding. Uh, we've had some technical issues on all of the ways in which we do these things. Uh, so there's a good chance people are actually going to say, actually, Hunk, where the heck are you? So let's start with Crowdcast. Um, if you can hear us on Crowdcast, please do let us know. Um, thank you very much, Caroline. Appreciate that earlier response. I think we're not going live on LinkedIn um, because there's a break on Restream. So let's see whether that's being fixed or not. Um, let me just quickly check. If you are on LinkedIn and watching this, do let me know. We are not live on LinkedIn. That's definitely not the case. Um, so, okay, that hasn't worked. Um, okay, disappointing, but I don't think it's our fault. Um, uh, this is basically um, a, an interaction, I think, um, just to explain to the audience, we basically have a, um, a tool that connects us to allow for LinkedIn Live and restream to LinkedIn is not working, as we know. Uh, all right, so you have to be on Crowdcast. What, what can I say? Uh, for the folks watching this on Crowdcast, do me a favor. Um, just share the Crowdcast link to wherever the LinkedIn page is and make sure the folks that are watching it or trying to watch it there are aware they need to sign in and log in here. Um, okay, thank you. Um, let's um, let's get on with this. Um, so, Adam, welcome back to the show, I guess. It's been a while since you've been on, it seems. Is that, is that right? A couple of weeks? Uh, yeah, it has. I think I was busy. You were busy. I don't know. Oh, yeah, you were skiing. Yeah. Uh, we were both out of the UK, weren't we? So, um, so yeah, um, great to see you back, man. Um, let's um, – we're out of rhythm. Man. What do we do now? We need to review <laughs> sponsors. No, we need to review the newsletter um, because you do a show, um, it's your sponsor first. No, because they're coming on later. Um, oh right. The, the entire thing is 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 them talking about their report, so 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 they don't get double bubble on that. Got um, it. Yeah, let's get to uh, let's get to the newsletter. And see where we're at. Okay. Um, so I always read the uh, Candies report, the Global uh, Candidate Experience Benchmark report. And uh, I think that's essential reading for anybody that's interested in candidate experience, which should be everybody that's on this session. Yeah. And uh, what the, the bit that I was drawn to was the Candies winners. Um, what are some of the trends about what they do well? Because I think we all need to aspire uh, to be up there with their level. And 35% um, high, they, they have... Candy winners tend to have a 35% higher net promoter score rating at the uh, like talent sourcing, talent attraction sort of stage. So that's the point where you're reaching out to individuals, giving them information about the job and all that kind of thing. And specifically, one of the elements was around providing good, good content about company values. So... You know, at that early stage where you're reaching out to them or they're like at the kind of discovery call with you, you want to make sure that you're giving them really good information about your company values and 
you know, really paint a good picture of what it's like to work at the organization, I think. So uh, that was one of the trends that I thought was was quite important. Another one um, was... Wait, let me underline that. That's a really important point. Because um, I didn't actually read the report in as much depth as that. Um, and it, so you're, what you're saying is, at the, fi- at the final accounting of it, when people are rating their experience with the company, if you've yeah. had an early conversation on values, that actually has a significant impact in terms of how they actually think about it. Um, yes. Yes, uh, it, it, it does. Uh, 35% higher NPS score at that stage if you've given them a good experience, and especially uh, around talking about uh, values and what it's like to work in the organization. There's a few others as well. But that's it. That's pretty, a good one. Yeah, pretty straightforward, you know, adjustment that anybody needs to make there. Um, talk about values early if they're, you know, that needs to be a key part of the first conversation you have. It links into another aspect, which is um, they have a better focus around automated communications. Um, so, it, for example, chatbots. So, if the person wants to find out more information, then giving them the ability to ask some questions of an automated system that will, of course, include things about here's what our values are, uh, mm-hmm. then that's, a, that's a, real, a real trend of all Candidate Experience Award winners. Um, a focus on reducing bias. They put, an, they put a, a higher focus on reducing bias than non-winners. Um, and another one is... I don't know if this is this is a this is probably an output of that, which is they end up with more referred employ employees and more candidates acting as brand ambassadors. So telling people they had a good experience and that they would recommend other people apply to that organization. Yeah, um, the, the, all, all of this kind of makes sense, uh, but it's in, important to have it all correlated. Um, and, and if you're having some struggle internally to, you know, argue about how improving candidate experience. This type of document, I think, is really, really useful um, for you to have that internal conversation. Um, and yeah, there's, I think they put in some like ten recommendations as well, which I thought was really good because uh, Candy's obviously a, they're also a mission-driven type of organization. They want to try and improve candidate experience. Um, so it is definitely something you should read. I've shared the link. There's a Dropbox link into the chat stream there. Make sure you avail yourself on that and download that. It's a very, very important uh, document. Comes out every year. Um, and quick shout out to Kevin Grossman as well. Um, he's been kind of leading the charge on that for a very long time. The man to follow when it comes to CX, I think, because he's basically in charge of uh, that report and also the events that kind of uh, precede it and so on. So um, great bits of. Uh, value-add content there. Great. Uh, yes. So he, he runs candidate experience, basically. So <laughs> the Center for Economic Policy Research um, have published a report or a blog or something, which um, is about, I think the headline is like, managers say that remote working's uh, here to stay, or working mm-hmm. from home, sorry. Is, is here to say. And so the thing that I found really interesting was a graph which showed, like a bar graph, which showed uh, 2018, so pre-pandemic, 90%, 91% of people were fully on site. 
whereas that's gone down to 62% as of, I think, last year. And as of 2028, it remains at 62%. We're fully on site. So, like, there's been a big uh, drop in the number of people who have to work on site. And that's going to be maintained, which suggests that this, like, move that we hear about for getting people back to office, especially by the leaders of investment banks and people like that, is not really um, actually having any any impact. And in terms of fully remote workers, today it's seven, or 2023, 7.6%. By 2028, it goes actually goes up to 8%. Um, now, where that comes from is that increase comes from not it comes from less people are hybrid. Uh, and so, I mean, the numbers are, are, are roughly the same between on-site, hybrid, and fully remote between 2023 and 2028. But there is a tiny gain in the number of people that are fully work from home. So maybe maybe, maybe uh, all the people that are saying, yeah, everything's going to go back to normal. Um, the employers are boiling the frog. They're trying to make you redundant if you don't go back to the office. They're passing you up for career opportunities if you don't come back to the office. Maybe that's actually a myth. Yep. Uh, and by the way, the, the, the best data to uh, figure this out is things like um, transport data and, and, and sort of door pass entry data. Um, uh, there's, there's companies that produce software which track the numbers of people actually come into an office. Um, and those types of researchers are also confirming uh, that were nowhere near back to to RTO, um, and and this report here I think is quite important. Survey two thousand five hundred UK companies asking hiring managers what their projected dis distribution was for their workforce in twenty twenty eight. So in other words, they're saying, look, is RTO actually a trend? Do you see people coming, you know, back into the office? Yes, no, maybe. And, and basically, most of them said no. Um, the the the, the, the the report, the average reported projections of 2028 are exactly the same as they were in 2023. So for, for this sample, at least 2,500 companies in the UK, pretty much they're saying, look, this is here to stay where we're at now, which is predominantly hybrid, quite flexible, some on-premise, some remote. Um, so I think if you're, again, having a conversation internally or wondering where you're at with things, um, then absolutely that document um, is just useful to have, you know, have it in your locker, give it a read, uh, maybe share it around. It's some, it's one of those things that I think is useful uh, if you're interested in, uh, you know, maintaining a flexible working uh, environment. Uh, okay, mate, give us one more before we get into it. Uh, okay, one more would be the, oh, yes, the, how, how generous, the Oliver Wyman uh, report around uh, how generative AI is impacting uh, business and society. So they're, they're, they're saying that generative AI is going to create a 20 trillion GDP growth globally by 2030. Um, now, of course, what that's creating is concerns around job displacement, worker anxiety, um, and it's something really worth understanding and i would link it to i would link it to almost everything that we do in recruitment right now 
we need to understand this. We need to understand everything about it. Um, embracing change is, is going to be very difficult for a lot of people. And I can see it from even I, I, I took part in a like generative AI sort of product demo thing yesterday. And some of the comments that we got on this were like wildly varied from people in talent acquisition. So dynamic adaptation is going to have to happen. Uh, and we all need to put our crash helmets on and embrace it. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a really interesting report. I mean, we've seen tons of these these reports come out, but um, I've shared it in the, in the chapter there as well. Um, I like it. Why? Because the tone I thought was very good. It wasn't hyperbolic in any way. It wasn't like doom-mongering or it wasn't excessively optimistic. Um, and in fact, what it was particularly good at, I thought, uh, was it presented kind of alternative theories or scenarios when it whenever it was making a point. Um, it wasn't saying it was definitely going to be this. It said, look, here's one theory. It looks like this. Another theory looks like that. Um, and it kind of equips the audience with just, just more than one narrative uh, to go with. Um, the bottom line, though, is that the, uh, the impact of generative AI in society, so forget about business for a moment, in society is going to be significant. Um, and we all know what that means. We have to pay attention to it. We have to be riding that wave and not being smashed by it. Um, anyway, go on. I would just, can I just quickly say, I, want, I would link it to the last one I talked about, which is the return to, you know, return to working on site thing. And I would, I would estimate that of the 35% or whatever who are uh, not working on site, like most of them are like us. They're people on this call. They're people in traditional white collar jobs, knowledge worker jobs. And of the, of the people that are working, have to work on site, who are not in knowledge worker jobs, a lot of those, apart from the healthcare ones, a lot of those are the ones that potentially are going to get most impacted by not just generative AI, but advances in technology. And so I want, I just wonder about, uh, I, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not going to do, be do monger about it, but there's so many jobs are going to have to emerge new jobs to replace the ones that just won't need to exist very soon. And that does include lots of white collar jobs as well. Yeah. I was about to disagree with you. I mean, I think people who are working remote, um, are actually are quite vulnerable to AI disintermediation. Um, because one of the really interesting, uh, and we should do a separate show on, on, on this because there's lots of sort of threads that I want to weave together, but one of the uh, most important uh, ways in which people add value is how intensively they collaborate with other people. Um, and there's no question a distributed company, the collaboration is not the same as working exactly in the same room because the information flow is gonna be so much higher um, if you're simply over the desk. Um, now, I think if you go remote, um, it's, it's great for lifestyle, it's great for, for uh, I certainly would never go back to the office, I'm totally on board with remote, um, but it does make you a little bit more vulnerable to AI disintermediation in my opinion, um, and it's something you've got to think about, um, because um, there's elements of uh, your, uh, 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 your, your work um, if it's, you know, remote typically is task-based work. Um, there's, there's very specific stuff that you can do. Um, how intensively are you collaborating with other people? How important is your institutional knowledge with the organization? All of those things need to be thought about. Um, so anyway, 
I had a conversation with somebody this morning all about uh, accountancy recruiting and accountancy jobs. And um, we, we, we agreed that the more critical decision making there is, the less likely the job's going to disappear. But so therefore the CFO safe, the level before the C, below the CFO is probably safe. When you start getting down to jobs at like 60K and below, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure there's a lot of critical decision making in these jobs. There's a lot of reconciliation type work and that type of thing. And, you know, there's a lot of, there are, there are, so there are a lot of white collar jobs which are under threat. Yeah. And dude, we, we don't want to go into, again, doom mongering, but there, there, there is an argument to say that the, the more experience you have now, the better it is. 10 years in, 15 years in, you've got a big network, you've got loads of domain knowledge, you've got institutional knowledge. What I mean by institutional knowledge is that it is just how things work and that often aren't documented. You know, if you're working for a big organization, uh, the, the manual which tells you how it works is not actually how it works. Um, there's other ways, you know, the, the real way in which it works requires you to know the people, know, know who the, uh, the blockers are and, and, and who the evangelizers are and so on. That is not something that AI can help with. Um, but I think the young people coming into the office today or coming into work today, they've got a lot of work to do. I don't envy them uh, at this point. All right, you're going to say something. Get, so, go where on. do they get? Where do they get? How how do you build the leaders of the future if there's no need for the juniors of the future? So, like in mm. in accountancy, for example, in an accountancy firm, if there's no need for junior auditors anymore, where are the partners of the future going to come from? They're not going to come from within like they did, and and yeah. same with law firms, and same with like a lot of different jobs. Well, this you think about the how what the time frame of how a company makes a decision. Um, it isn't in terms of decades. Um, very few companies have that foresight to go and do it. It's literally on quarterly, you know, updates or whenever they have to report, particularly if they're public. Um, so I think that we're we're, we're going to be in a situation where the economic uh, kind of drivers and the, the political drivers are going to make the decision for us. Very few organisations are able to set it out and say. Right, we've got a 20-year plan on this. Um, and it requires someone with massive equity ownership. Uh, someone like Mark Zuckerberg can, for instance, say, right, we're going to burn the next decade. Screw it. Um, uh, this is our new future, right or wrong. But he, he's able to have a 20-year plan. Um, yeah. If you're a publicly listed company, you need to report as shareholders, board members, and get rid of the CEO. All that stuff means that you're, you've got quarterly targets to hit um and uh, that's actually that's your thinking frame it's not like where are leaders for the future very short termism anyway why, why less of us will be working in jobs um in full-time permanent contracts in the future indeed topic for another time i'm putting together the schedule for march uh so and i'm behind because it's already march by the way but it'll be released next week um and it'll be full of conversations of this type but let's get on with the show because we have to bring on uh, Woody and Ewan. They've been sitting there. I know they've like, put their makeup on as well. So um, these people have been waiting to you know, impress. Um, so let's not delay that moment uh, any longer uh, and get them on to talk about this re uh, research they've been doing. I've been quite keen to involve, by the way, just to let people know, I've been quite keen to, 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 to do a, a slightly different format. Usually we have panel discussion and all mm -hmm. the rest of it. Um, but I'm kind of keen to kind of... Uh, uh, mix it up a little bit by having uh, companies that have done really interesting research talk to us about the research. And I think that elevates the conversation, elevates our understanding of what's going on in different domains of the recruitment industry, and hopefully it'll provide that longer tail value uh, as well. 
So let's see uh, uh, what uh, what these two lads have got to say for us. Um, let's see if they can get on screen, that is. Oh, there he is. There's Ewan. Hello. Hello Ewan. Good afternoon, guys. Good Hi. to see you. Appropriately branded up, which is good to see. Oh, oh yeah. And Woody just doesn't disappoint with the branding either. Um, so <laughs> well done, well done, you guys. Okay, uh, let's do some intros real quick. Uh, Ewan, can you quickly introduce yourself for you? What it is you do? Thanks, Hung. Uh, CEO and co-founder of Willow. And Willow is a one-way or asynchronous video interviewing platform. And we just entered mm -hmm. our year of business. Mm -hmm. Fantastic stuff, Ewan. Um, and Woody, do you want to uh, introduce yourself as well? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm the other co-founder of Willow, which you probably could have put two and two together. But um, but yeah, my role is essentially chief salesperson in the company. Uh, and I spend 90% of my time just out speaking to clients, prospects, etc. And a bit of background, I worked in recruitment for 12 years before setting up the business with Ewan. So I've been on both sides now, both equally exciting yet challenging fantastic stuff and i've just shared the linkedins to both of those guys very good uh, sort of interesting people to follow as well on linkedin so make sure you go ahead and do that um the reason why you're on here though is very specific um because there was a really interesting report that you guys commissioned i think it was late last year but you published it about a month or so ago um and i really just dived into some of the the the, the, the rationale behind the report um uh what the purpose was and, and in fact what the learnings have been because i think we're all kind of interested to know um what the state of the market really is um you know i think all of us have have their individuated experiences of course um they depend on uh, conversations uh, and, and channels like brain food uh to try and you know give a, a little bit more of a wider view um so i wonder whether you could just give us uh, some idea initially about what the research was and, and why you went ahead and did it. So maybe we'll go, go with you first on, on that, Ewan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Hung. Um, so we commissioned a report at the end of last year, and we wanted to look, the report is actually called The State of Hiring 2024. And The State of Hiring 2024 was looking at our customer base predominantly. So we're in a fortunate position after four years of business where we have lots of customers. And all of our customers are quite forward thinking just in the very fact that they're using Willow, they tend to be more forward thinking in recruitment. And we wanted to use, I guess, our fortunate position to actually establish how the year ahead looks for our customers. So we reached out to all of our customers end of last year with the goal of understanding what their views, what their opinions are and how they're actually approaching the year ahead. And what was really interesting about the report hung was that it, if you look at the breakdown in the, in the data, it, ranges from like one man bands all the way up to large organizations like easyjet with like 50 60,000 employees and everyone in between and it also ranges across the US Europe and Asia the breakdown is something like 40% US 40% Europe and then about 10% Asia which is really good from a snapshot perspective so the report that we commissioned was really looking at yeah exactly what everyone in those industries thinks but what we got managed to do was get a really holistic view from a whole bunch of different geographies, different roles, different types of organizations. And hopefully when we shared that report just a few weeks ago, we could share some of those findings. And I think 
what's interesting about the findings is that they're mostly actionable as well. We're quite, we're quite into actionable findings rather than just throwing things out there. We wanted to make sure that this was a report that when it lands in people's hands, they could actually do something about it and do something with that information. Yeah, fantastic. Um, what were the, um, the the major differences did you detect between the regions, uh, Woody? Have you got any perspective on that? I mean, was was there a significant difference or uh, anything you know, notable in terms of how different regions were feeling about the, the, the year in recruiting in 2024? I'm not the one to ask that, Hung, I'll be totally honest. Ewan, did, did you dig into that any deeper? Because we we aggregated it and looked at it as a whole, and there there wasn't any, from my knowledge, any specific regional differences between no. the different sentiments and questions that we asked, basically. And and I would say that's the same, just from anecdotal customer conversations. You know, I'm having conversations with people in Singapore all the way across to you know San Francisco. Um, well, we've lost you, and that's always good. He's back. Um, and they're all concerned about the same thing. But, you know, what's interesting is <laughs> what's interesting is your doomsday view uh, that you were just talking about, potentially with AI taking over roles and all of that kind of stuff. When I speak with these clients and prospects, they're all much more optimistic about the hiring, at least in the short term. Um, I know obviously we're talking about gen AI in the future and what that could mean for, you know, white collar jobs, et cetera. But actually people are generally pretty upbeat right now for 2024. Well, let's, let's isolate on AI because that was one of the things that you guys decided to target. Um, can, can you kind of tell us what sort of questions you were asking in that report uh, related to AI? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the key questions was, do you expect to use AI or automation? in 2024 in your hiring process and what was interesting is the way that we positioned that question it was ai was one question and automation was another question that was intentional because there's a real like overlap there um which a lot of people don't really appreciate until they get stuck into the nuts and bolts of it like when you start implementing ai it can be as simple as like you know an automation in zapier that does this thing or this thing so we wanted to differentiate the two but when you put them together 80 percent of the respondents in that survey expected to use ai or automation in 2024 and that was a big takeaway for, for me personally anyway but i think all of us on this call what are the 20 percent? how are the 20 percent doing recruitment good question it's a genuine it's a genuine question like yeah. what, there, there's the a lot of things they're that, not volumes. doing. There's a lot of things they're yeah. doing manually. Absolutely. I mean, the volumes that many of our customers are doing, I do not know the answer to that question because, you know, can, volumes of candidates, applications coming through businesses is, is obviously increasing, particularly with things like ChatGPT generated CVs. You're getting huge increases in number of applicants, but without automation, the, the processes and, and the manual work there would be mind blowing. I mean, you know, we know some particular, you can probably name drop Woody, some of the examples. I mean, they're like, literally when you hear the numbers, you'd be like, holy shit, you can't do that without yeah. us. or an I, army of people. I can't, I can't even give, I can't give the name sadly, but there's a, a company that we work with in the Middle East who hire over a thousand early careers individuals a year. 
And before they implemented Willow, they were doing 30, each individual recruiter was doing 30 hours a week of telephone interviews. Um, and it was just nonstop, you know, how you can do that without getting interview fatigue and therefore allowing even more bias into the process. It must be almost impossible. And now they're doing basically 10 hours worth of assessment using an automated process. So you you would, even in the biggest companies in the world, you'd be shocked at the level that they are still using, not even using ATSs, using Excel spreadsheets, you know, not automating to the point where they can even search for somebody effectively. And instead they have to use a VLOOKUP to find candidates. It's honestly, um, really eye-opening. And I think the main, if you look at the question and the, the kind of answers that you can give in the, in the document, uh, in the report, the people that were outside of like, yes, we're going to use it moderately. Yes, we're going to use it significantly. They were kind of unsure what to do with AI specifically. So, and if I'm honest, I think probably if you look at the 49% of people that said yes, moderately, around AI, they're probably a little bit unsure as well, which is why they're saying moderately. Mm. Um, there's still so much ambiguity around how every individual should be using AI as a, as a recruiter that people aren't ready to get to that point where they're like, yeah, we're definitely using it quite aggressively, actually. Um, and then there's also the debate around the ethical element of it. Do they want to be seen to be going, we're going, you know, full bore into AI, this is going to be our process in the future. Candidates ready for that? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting right now. I, I think TA is still, I call it the individual experimenter stage, you know, where you've got individuals that are still playing around. They got, they've got a technique or a tool that works well, but it's, it's by no means centrally directed or part of any strategy. Um, I do think 2024 probably needs to be the year where companies start putting into 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 position uh, policy guidelines and indeed reworking their recruitment uh, process um, uh, so that you can take advantage of some of these tools which are going to accelerate your way through. Uh, we've seen the adoption of some technologies which I think is going to accelerate um, and um, uh, it, 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 as you say guys it's, it's necessary given the fact that um, we can't handle the volume that's coming at us uh, particularly when you've got you know, AI-enabled candidates. Uh, you know, it's not only recruiters yeah. that are using AI. Um, it's it's a it's a it's mainstream adoption, and it's going to be prolific. Um, and so uh, we need to basically future-proof what we're doing uh, on this. Um, yeah. Okay. Go. On. I just just want to say I find the concept slightly curious about like when and I hear it all the time. I hear TA leaders say or or. People in TA say, yeah, our company's going to use more AI this year. And I say, oh, what, what, what's it going to use AI for? Like, well, you know, you've got to start with, like, what are the tasks that are burdening you right now? What are the things that are slowing you down and causing bottlenecks? And then what's the solution to that? And if it's an AI solution, great. If it's an automation solution, great. If it's something else, then great. This, this, just this general concept of we've been told we've got to use more AI. Mm. It's quite a vague directive that you're getting from probably from the CFO, I don't know, or a chief operating officer or, or, or somewhere. That's not a criticism of your question. I think your question to the respondents is, is, a, is a really interesting one. But 
I do wonder, like, what are the tasks? Yeah. I uh, I came prepared, Adam, and you were going to ask Good. that question. <laughs> um, it, the, some of the tasks for AI are very simple, as I mentioned. Some of them are just like literally Zapier enabled tasks. One of the tasks which you can use AI for, which I think makes a lot of sense, is the rejection process. So when you reject an applicant, most of our customers and most of our on, on this call, most of us on this call will over-index on the rejection process. You naturally have more rejections than accepts, right? Um, and obviously, as the volume increases, the number of rejections increases. But in order to reject candidates successfully, you typically want to give them some feedback. And that feedback needs to be related to the candidate in the first place. Otherwise, it's just a, you know, a random templated email. One cool way of using AI that's actually actionable for all of us today is to have that email drafted by AI. And then you can put that into your rejection email and hit send. That saves an enormous amount of time. Like you can't even begin to imagine how much time that would save at scale. You know, if you have, if you say you reject hundred candidates a day, all of them are getting a small, you know, like a paragraph that's custom to them. People are actually typing that paragraph out as we speak all around the world. If they can get that produced, that paragraph produced by AI, huge amounts of time saved, but also massively beneficial for the candidate because they're still getting the feedback that they need, but you're not over-indexing on that amount, that, you know, that piece of work. This, this sounds great, uh, Ewan, but wouldn't the criticism be um, the candidate um, is good, you know, equally going to reject a generated response because they're going to feel, you know what, I've put effort into my, uh, the, the application process here. Uh, can't this guy just give me a call? Um, yeah. I mean, how, how, have you thought about this? I mean, again, I know this is not something yeah. in, in your product, so we're just spitballing here, but totally. um, how do you handle that sort of situation, really? I can answer that as well, because that's not happening. That's the thing. The, the call is not happening. It is a templated email, or it's silence. It's radio silence. So, so yeah, yeah. So it's better, it's better than what we've got, basically. Yeah, it's like never like being ghosted forever. Over here, here, you're like nothing to something. And I would rather people went from nothing to something than just sitting on baseline, nothing, shit experience for everyone, candidates having a terrible outcome. There's, there's certain areas, and that's, I guess, you know, you guys speak about this in the show quite often when it comes to AI and automation. Look at what you're already doing. Like, don't, like, go, like, blue sky. Like, what, what can we do with AI, like you said, Adam? Like, what are you already doing or what are you doing terribly at the moment? How do we make that a little bit better? And that's a great example you just mentioned there. Obviously, a call would be the best outcome for everyone, but the call's not even happening. So let's try and just, like, not nudge it up a little bit and give candidates something of value. That'd be yeah. my tip. I just quickly want to add to that. I've got a, <clears throat> I've got an interesting um, insight from a friend of mine who is a TA manager at a big four accountancy firm. And uh, he said to me that their process within the, it's a, like the corporate finance type of area that he's responsible for. And he said that people above the age of about 30, 35 really appreciate that call to say that they're not getting moved forward in the process. People under that age often say to his team, why are you calling me? Couldn't you just send me a text? Like mm -hmm. they're actually pissed off that they're getting that message, that they're, they're getting that service because they don't want it. But uh, in general, I would totally, to I totally agree with what you just said. That's a really interesting situation because that's even like hyper advanced um, uh, 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 candidate experience. Like can you differentiate the preferred medium 
of communication to a candidate? Uh, can you even infer it uh, based on uh, demographic data? I mean, or even should you? So it's difficult. But I totally get what you're saying, Adam. You're right. I, I, I certainly wouldn't pick up a call anyway. Uh, so even if the call didn't happen, I wouldn't pick it up if it did. Um, so, uh, and I'm not saying I'm a young guy, but probably because I'm plugged into uh, a lot of the technology, I'm preferring asynchronous in, uh, almost all of the time. Um, so maybe these are preferences that you can ask candidates to set as you go in, but then you you got to worry about, okay, are we creating like too much load at the beginning for a candidate that fundamentally we're actually rejecting anyway? Um, Difficult one to solve. Um, guys, listen, I, I don't know whether you guys have got the um, report to hand, but I wonder whether it might be useful just uh, to show it um, because, uh, you know, us talking about it is great, but uh, I wonder whether if you – I remember it wasn't a massive report of 80-odd pages, was it? It was like scannable um, a dozen or so pages. So, so why don't you pull it up and we'll just do a share screen and we'll talk through it as we scroll. Absolutely. I just put the link into the – chat as well folks are you sharing your screen Ewan? slowly but surely <laughs> good old technology i actually don't know how to do this myself but hopefully it'll work oh yeah exactly you hung you just threw threw me into this don't worry, you're you're an entrepreneur, you and um, you know you can you can you can handle no prep type situations. So um, okay, cool. Let's have a look at this, man. So this is our state of hiring report, twenty twenty four. Everyone can download that in the comments as well. By the way, folks, if you're on Crowdcast, you want to see this, you can actually maximize uh, the screen by going full full screen on stage. So if you can't see it, uh, go ahead and do that. All right, let's have a look at this. How would you describe your organization's overall hiring outlook? Um, wow, you've got 39.7% saying modest growth. Um, what is that? I mean, I guess that must have been very positive uh, uh, hearing from uh, from your side, guys. Or, or did it? Would that, did that surprise you? Did you walk into this with any preconceptions? It was surprising to me in, a, in obviously a positive direction. Um, you, have, you know, we, we're here in the media, as you mentioned at the start of this call in the media, there's a lot of negativity around return to work, around redundancies, cutting of headcount. This is encouraging to see absolutely, um, you know, increased headcount across the board. And as I said before, this is, a, this is a sample size globally across organizations from one to 1000 plus. Um, so it's really encouraging to see that headcount increases is, across the board seen as, as a positive move in 2024. Can you give us an idea of what kind of companies? You mentioned it was a big spread of organizations that use Willow, um, but can you kind of pick out some major segments that could kind of give us an indication of where that growth is coming from? Yeah, um, so we have heavy SKUs in retail, aviation, automotive industry. Um, we've also got We've got software, telecom um, industry as well. So really large organizations and industries. Airlines as well. Uh, lots of like an unbelievable amount of growth in sort of airlines, which you wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have put my finger on that being, you know, where it's coming from basically, but it seems to be. No, that's interesting because we all know, of course, airlines had to go through a, a big, uh, shrinkage of uh, organization, especially frontline organization during the, the pandemic period. So I wonder whether they're still 
you know, uh, rebuilding back their um, uh, uh, their workforce uh, from that moment. That's very, very interesting. Again, we, we, we don't see or talk to enough people in different industries. So uh, I wonder whether my uh, lens is all, always a little bit colored by, you know, my, my, my tech focus. Uh, okay, cool, guys. Let's sc scroll on. Uh, let, let's, let's, let's see what else is happening here. That's an interest. Just on, sorry, go on, Ian. No, you go. I was going to introduce the next slide, but on you go with. No, I was just going to say, like, it, airlines wise, EasyJet, so I don't think they're coming back from, you, you know, where they were. I think they're accelerating beyond that, for example. Their profits were like 28% up. Um, and it's, it's insane the amount that these companies are growing. I think it's, it's they're accelerating, not catching up just from from my knowledge of the industry hung so mm -hmm. just based on what you said yeah um this is an interesting slide challenges in 2024 in attracting and retaining of talent salary and benefit expectations is top of the list here nearly 50 percent of uh, of responses that's never usually been the top thing, has it? In all of the um, research that we've seen hung over the years of doing this, it's been other things around culture and, you know, values and oh, training and career opportunities and that type of thing, rather than salary and benefits. But um, that, that, this is cost of living. Why this is cost of living of crisis, though, isn't it? Like everyone is very sensitive. Yeah. Mortgages have gone up. Everyone, you know, go to the grocery store. So you buy a pack of fish fingers. Suddenly, it's like five instead of six. Like, what's going on here? Uh, and straight away, you know that there's pressure on. So I think people are looking to increase salary to cover the cost of living increases. Um, and you know, if you're not getting that, you're moving on. So, um, so yeah, that actually doesn't surprise me. I think on the economic macro, you you, you place that into the wider framework. It kind of makes sense. Definitely. This is an interesting one. So how do you adapt to that? And we can see here some of the key things. So flexibility and remote work options, top of the list here. Improving yeah. those employee retention programs, as you mentioned, and then upskilling and reskilling. So these, these I suppose, are, are measures to counteract the challenges of Salary and benefits more than anything. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, so have you seen this, folks? I'd be. It's great that we're seeing that uh, offering more flexibility and remote work options is a talent attraction and a talent retainer. I think that makes perfect sense, um, and maybe aligns actually with one of the first things we talked about today about you know uh, return to office perhaps not being quite as significant as we've heard uh, because companies are smart enough to realize that. Um, actually, they want to retain staff um, uh, and, and avoid having to recruit and backfill. Uh, they've got to be more flexible. Um, and, and yeah, I think investment in skills, employee retention, like how do you keep your people happy? Um, very important because I think um, recruiting is, is hard. Uh, 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 it's harder, basically, than keeping what you've got. Um, yeah, very good. I, I like the fact that there's a none of the above option there. It's like, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the don't, the don't give a f uh, uh, CEOs there. I love it. 
Um, you know, just let <laughs> we're just gonna roll forward regardless. Okay, keep keep going, Aryun. Okay, interesting. So, how important is a strong employer branding strategy to attract top talent? Um, we've got important or very important. I mean, is, is anyone gonna say otherwise? Though, I mean, it's like I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts on this, uh, uh, Adam? No thoughts. I, I mean, I think <clears throat> I think it's I think it's it's very difficult to measure, isn't it? Because you've got touch points which. In, in traditional marketing, um, you know, they used to say that the seventh, seventh time that a, this is back in the day, that a housewife would see a you know, cleaning product or a cooking product or something like that advertised, that they would actually go into the shop and buy it. So, you know, if we put that into modern times, it may well be that we are soaking up lots of information about brands subliminally and whether that's like active employer branding or not you know i think we know what it's like i made a joke about the test to get into an airline uh, about being a certain height and weight and stuff like that um in 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 the comments there but you're gonna you're gonna know from your experience of a kind of brand um what it might be like to work there are you gonna have an impression of that yeah you I, think, I, I think it's you, extremely important i think it is absolutely <laughs> Do you not think it's going to, so if you look at, you talk about AI-enabled candidates and things like lazyapply.com where you can apply for 750 jobs in a day, do you not think employer brand for attracting applications is going to be diminished over time as, as more and more candidates actually just become these people that, you know, go on Lazy Apply, put in <laughs> certain details, and they just spray out as many applications as possible? I guess the argument, the counter-argument to that is if, the talent that you're looking for is specifically looking for you, then you need to have a great brand. But well, are they not putting themselves at a disadvantage for not doing the sort of, you know, AI-enabled apply to everything everywhere? Bill Berman used to talk about the um, this research from Clinch um, from back in the day, which showed that people would apply for everything and they wouldn't do any research into who the employer was until they got an interview. And if they got an interview, that's the point that they would go and, actually become aware of who is this company again and what is it they do, you know? Mm. Um, so there is some argument to, to um, or some, some, some substantive evidence, ed, evidence to back up what you just said. Um, but I, I, I really believe that the organizations that put good focus into this, but employer branding, it, it shouldn't, it's not about the, it's not just about the career site and it's not just about the apply process. It, it, it's about a whole load of other things like what does the company do who does it compete with what's its uh you know the strength of the industry that it's in what's the strength of its leadership and all these other things that we, t we typically don't focus on and we really should do a lot more in employer branding yeah i mean i think this question i'm gonna criticize the survey guys sorry but i think the question is kind of going to be loaded towards saying yes to this um like it's one of those socially approved things to say of course we care about employer branding i, I don't think there's many organizations that don't um uh but yeah i'm not sure this is going to be like that mega valuable so let's skip on uh you and okay how do you anticipate salary compensation for new roles changing? Um, so yeah, 
basically small increase, probably not an increase that's significant enough um, to um, uh, uh, to counteract cost of living crisis, which is why investing and retaining staff and making sure uh, that you don't lose people and create vacancies, I guess. And we understand why that is, by the way. It's like no one's got flush of money, right? We're all working extremely hard um, and optimizing. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, hence comp, and, hence comp and bends has become the top factor for candidates. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, exactly right. Okay, here's back to the AI side. Um, Okay, can anyone see this? AI has potential, but it should be used cautiously and ethically in hiring. 45.2% of respondents said this. AI is a valuable tool that can significantly improve our hiring process. That's 35.6%. And then 15.1% I have reservations about AI and hiring for human judgment. And then 4% have said, listen, it shouldn't play a role in hiring uh, at all, hiring decisions at all, best left out of process. It's an interesting distribution. I'm not surprised at that. Um, and, and I think the, uh, the top ranking um, uh, a vote is probably what most people would agree with as well, I, I should imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this, this wasn't, I guess, as surprising as, as I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, when we speak to customers and, and as you guys do as well, when you speak on the show, AI definitely has potential, but where and how exactly it's going to be used is still massively up for debate. I think in 2024, there's a huge amount of effort going into where it can be used. But I think the, the, the kind of position that I, I would take and, and we're taking at Willow is, like we said earlier, what are you already doing? Look at that first and then try and introduce AI and automation or AI or automation into the process to try and improve those existing processes. I don't think it's a case to rip up the rule book and start again. I think it's a more a more sensible and cautious approach, as as people have actually said here, used cautiously, a cautious approach of introducing it and enhancing that overall hiring process would be a much more sensible place to start, much easier place to start as well. It's hard to hard to think about automation and AI, it just in a in a blank canvas kind of scenario. Yeah, I'm cool. also not surprised about the distribution in here, but um, I I I have to say. I, I, I think that AI is a valuable tool that can significantly improve our hiring process is absolutely undisputed by this point. Like the ability for artificial intelligence to assess 5,000 CVs that come in and tell you which is the 10 people you should be interviewing is, is very well proven now. And um, I mean, products like Paradox have really changed the game for uh, like conversational AI and you know those types of things. So, I, I the the sixty five percent who have said anything but it can significantly mm -hmm. improve have got a learning curve to go on, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a one we have to keep on revisiting. Um, conscious of time, you in so let's let's, let's power through. Okay, this goes back to one of the things we talked about earlier. Yeah, moderate use, that's fair play. I think that's yeah. right. Okay, yeah. so this, what, what's this bit here? Um, so this, is our, this is our summaries and our key takeaways. Hans. Okay, cool, cool. Let's let's spend a bit of time on this. Um, yeah. So key takeaway number one is what, uh, Ewan? Yeah, so focus automation on those low value tasks. 
So tasks you're already doing that you identify as low value, how do you automate them? That's the best place to start. Don't try and think about other things. Just go with the stuff you're already doing. By the way, folks, if you want to know like a quick breakdown of what those things are, there's actually a spreadsheet on the Recruiting Brain Food website where I asked ChatGBT to rank um, which uh, recruitment tasks were actually the most uh, AI-able according to, to, to AI. Um, and so it ranked them as sort of out of one, a force ranking, one to 100. Take a look at that. I'm not saying you take it by gospel, but it gives you a little bit of a guideline to say, you know what, if ChatGPT is telling me it can definitely do these activities, maybe it can. Have a look at the things it can't do, and perhaps you want to shove and move your career in those directions and think about those activities and spending more time in those places. I'll share the link in the chat stream in the uh, in, in, in a bit. Um, okay, you uh, sorry. Good, uh, good, a good point just to note here. We put in a little pro tip there, Hung, which I quite like, and this is probably addressing the, the people that were on the fence or reluctant to use AI. There is obviously a large amount of uh, concern about, you know, automating yourself out of a job, the change process being uncomfortable for individuals. One of the things that we mentioned here is if you're going to automate tasks out, make sure you're communicating with your team what the tasks that you're bringing in are or what tasks you can focus on more are. Um, because it's not just about removing, it's about also adding higher value tasks into the... Great point. Folks, that should be in, that should be highlighted. Um, we talk about automation a lot. We talk about efficiency a lot. Uh, what are we going to do with the extra time? You, you need to communicate that back to your team uh, to ensure that they're not thinking, am I out of a job? We're going to spend more time on customer kind of experience. We're going to spend more time on EDI. We're going to spend more time um, on uh, um, uh, sort of uh, talent intelligence. Um, that's the sort of stuff that you need to be communicating back. Uh, it's not just about losing recruited jobs. Uh, okay, uh, you, if you think, and if and if you think, and if you if you want some inspiration in things that you could focus your time on instead of doing those administrative manual tasks, then go and read that candidate experience report that I talked about earlier, mm. because there's a heck of a lot of uh, a delta between those companies that are doing a great job and most organisations. Mm. Yeah, great point. Uh, this one. Employer number, employer branding. Uh, so we obviously spoke about employer branding being top on, on most people's lists. And we kind of called out here, well, what does that really mean? How do you, how do you be authentic? How do you be a great employer brand in 2024? And it's really about being genuine, authentic, and not making stuff up or lying about your organization and what it actually will be like when you work in the organization. Uh, we put an example here, you know, if, if you say you're an AI company, be an AI company, don't just use chat GPT here and there. And then people start in your organization and they go, where's all the AI? And you're like, yeah, we use chat GPT sometimes. Um, so being authentic about what you actually do in the organization and, and reflecting that in, in your employer branding was, was one of our key actionable takeaways. Yeah. Excellent stuff. And most companies lie when they say we're a great place to work and they're actually not. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, right the way through to the interview itself where people aren't honest about the job. You're still talking about the, you know, the employer brand. That's why it's important to have, try and insert some uh, task-based assessment or skills-based assessment where you're actually getting the person to feel and understand what the job is like. 
because otherwise you probably are just sat there going, yeah, it's amazing. You should come and join. Please fill my seat, please. Uh, and by the way, uh, this also leans into, you know, some of the most popular, you know, content that's floating around on the likes of TikTok and Instagram these days are day in the life videos um, because the, the market is yeah. hungry to know that we want to know what the job is like. Um, and there's a reason why those accounts get millions of views. Um, so, yeah, authentic oh. description of authentic description um, of the, the job as it is, as it's done by the people doing it. That's the sort of thing that people want to uh, want to consume. And the opposite. And the opposite. You know, the exit interviews that we've seen recorded on TikTok, how viral they go. That is the, some of the most authentic content around jobs hiring and firing. Mm, so if as a TA tough. you're not thinking about, you know, how, how your HR team are exiting people and making your job a lot harder, um, then you probably should be. Yeah, 100%. We're all familiar with those um, shared uh, in the uh, uh, Recruiting Brain Food newsletter a couple of times as well. Excuse me. Um, okay, what's all this about, uh, Ewan? This final one, uh, which I think is is the one that we can probably speak most at length about. I know that Adam and Hung are big on this, but how do you introduce AI? It start with those problems, start with those things you're already doing, and then what do we want to do with AI? So what's the actual outcome here? So as I mentioned earlier, if it's rejection emails, okay, we need to handle lots of rejections. That's the problem. But we want to give candidates better experience than nothing at all. That's the goal. Um, so there's, there's kind of two things that you could look at here um, about actually implementing AI and automation. Yeah, very good. I think this is maybe the best part of the um, the, the the report, actually. Um, you know, the idea that it just gives people a little bit of a framework that they can use um, uh, to uh, uh, to get started with uh, with this. Um, okay, cool, um, guys. We're running really uh, sort of towards the end of time, so I just wanted to, to to cover. Is there anything else in this report that needs to be brought up uh, before we uh, before we let it go? No, I think we covered off a great amount in this report. And I think uh, obviously everyone's got it in the link. I'll share it in the chat again now. Please read through it and then reach out to it's obviously Woody and I. If you've got any questions or any feedback, we can love to chat about it with you. Can I ask you and Woody, did you did you use any AI in the production of this uh, 17 page uh, report? Uh, no. Make sure you get this report. It was all hand typed by the the fingers <laughs> of the Willows founders. Um, okay, you and I think you're gonna stop sharing screen if you can do that, um, and we'll bring this to a close. Uh, folks, we have totally forgotten to share our LinkedIn's in the chat description. Um, so we always want to do this. Sorry, folks, so that way usually it's mid midway. But why don't we take this opportunity to do it now? Uh, take a moment, grab your LinkedIn URL, and stick it into the chat stream on Crowdcast. And then make sure you connect with everyone who's done that. Um, uh, you and we're still sort of sharing screen, I'm afraid to say. Um, I would love to stop sharing, but I don't know how to, hang. It won't let me. <laughs> it won't let you. Okay. Um, don't worry. We're just going to we're, we're gonna have to say goodbye as it is. Just boot um, us out. Um, but that's all good. Uh, maybe, I, maybe it's just me, actually. Um, I'll just refocus myself on it. Um, and we're all good. Uh, all right, folks, we have to close it off at this point. Thanks for watching the show. Uh, make sure you follow the channel if you're interested in more like report breakdowns like this. Um, we're going to mix it up with more panel conversations and continue with these reports. 
Next week, we've got a very exciting uh, show for us because we're going to talk about the state of sourcing. Sourcing has been a huge topic over the last several weeks, uh, but few people have actually done any kind of research on this. Uh, our friends at Ashby, who are, of course, uh, one of the leading ATSs um, around these days, uh, they've done some uh, excellent uh, research on exactly what sort of messages are getting the sort of responses uh, that you want. So how long is your uh, uh, subject line got to be? Um, how many points of personalization have you got to be? Uh, how many conversations does it take for you to move a candidate um, from prospect to, to hire? Um, so it's a very interesting uh, show. We're going to do another report, a review. Uh, make sure you join us for that. Uh, the show is already up and running. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time. So thanks for watching, everyone. <clears throat> Tell you what. Mm -hmm. I, I've known you and, and I've known you and Woody for some time, and that is a great business they've got there. Yep, I agree. They've done actually remarkably well. I came across those guys a long time ago. Um, they're not neither of them actually aged. I mean, uh, you, you and I have aged. Um, uh, but uh, but they're, they're well, we're a lot well. older than they are. That's true. I, th I think your age accelerates after a certain period. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's great to see uh, this type of uh, 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 movement, if you like, coming out of Scotland. Um, and also, you know, the, the, the way in which you can produce a product, which, you know, may not be something that has never been done before. Async video interview has been done before, uh, but they did it with a very a clear understanding of their market proposition, who their customer base was, and then how to uh, provide the sort of customer service to make sure people want to stay with them. Um, yeah, so yeah, totally. they're, they're a great player. Great player. A business I, I think it's going to go far. I learned from them. I meet up with them every four or five months, and I learn from them every time I meet them. It's great. Yeah, yeah, they're good dudes. All right, listen, that's it. Uh, what are you doing this weekend? Here's, Anything interesting? Uh, yeah, I'm going to the uh, World Indoor Athletics Championships tomorrow. Oh, I didn't realize that was happening. Um, yeah, started start today. Most of the finals and things are on Sunday, but um, started today. I'm good at quite a few semifinals and things tomorrow, so I'll be good. It's in Glasgow. Cool, cool. Yeah, we've got to make this is something I never do like make use of what's actually happening in big cities. Um, and there's tons happening in every big city, so I've just typically stay in and like feel miserable, don't actually go out. Um, when I really do you know what I think it is? I, I think it is like. The World Indoor Athletics Championships in Glasgow is like a world-class sporting event. We don't have things like that every weekend in uh, Glasgow. So I pay more attention to that. But when you're in London and you've got world-class stuff going on all the time, and I mean like gigs and theatre, and it's an everyday thing for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's part of the problem, though, because it is every day. Yeah. You get lazy and you think, ah, uh, next day, tomorrow, Less whatever. special as a result. Yeah, yeah. I just need to get a, a better attitude. There's no doubt about that. Um, all right, that's it. I'll, uh, I'll see you next week, mate. Cheers. All right.